Well, hello. <laughs> so glad to be here at part of, part of the group to share some thoughts about greater than and less than. And uh, let me readjust here. There we go. There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the main event. This will be something that will you, you'll be able to tell your children and your grandchildren. It is the rematch to beat all rematches. Today, you will see a battle that will go down into history. In the Valley of Elah, we find on the far hill, over there, the Philistine army gathered, waiting to go in an earlier skirmish with the Israelites. It was reported that they had 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and the army was as many as the sands of the seashore. There is no love lost on this hill because on the near hill, we find this Israelite camp. And it is in this camp that we find King Saul and his son, Jonathan, who earlier with only 600 men to start with and Jonathan Saul having the only two weapons were able to devastate the Philistine army. Now that started with Jonathan beginning with a sneak attack and then supposedly an earthquake was delivered by their God. However, once again, this army is far inferior in force and in numbers. Revenge is on the minds of the Philistine because they believe that their fortune has changed. They believe they have an ace in the hole. So let me introduce to you Goliath of Gath. He is nine foot, six inches tall. He has been a warrior since a child. He has a coat of scale armor, one plate on top of the other, not like the old iron rings. And that armor alone weighs 125 pounds. Bronze greaves cover his shins and legs. A bronze helmet sits on his head. He has a bronze javelin between his shoulder blades and a sword on his hip and a spear that has a 15-pound iron head on the end of it. He is a monster. In fact, the, the affect on those who see him elicits a simple word, whoa. When he steps forth, forth, his voice thunders over the plain, and he present, presents this daily challenge to Israel. With a wicked smile, he says, let's settle this man to man. And by the end of his challenge, he always ends with this chilling taunt. 
I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Send me a man that we may battle. In the history of warfare and intimidation, there are few figures more impressive than this Goliath of Gath. So we must ask, is there any man in Israel who can beat him? Well, coming into our view now is a shepherd boy. David, he says, from Bethlehem. He's the youngest of eight sons of Jesse. And we understand that there's absolutely nothing remarkable about him. In fact, he's been sent by his dad to bring his three older brothers some food and then to report back to his dad about how the battle is going. But David hears Goliath's taunt. And being quite impetuous, as a young man might often be, he simply asks, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? That question only earns him ridicule and disgust from his brothers. But you know, that shepherd's boy impetuousness spreads through the camp and finally is shared with King Saul, who then asked to have him brought to his tent. And while before the king, David confidently asserts again that Goliath will fall at his hands. With no other options, King Saul lets him go. As David approaches the battlefield, there stands Goliath of Gath. The Philistine giant still defying Israel's God. In David's hands are a few, few small stones and a slingshot. And we just have to wonder again, is there anyone who believes that this shepherd boy stands a chance against a trained warrior like Goliath? Every day, Goliath had stalked out of the line of his warriors to stand in the center of the valley, to issue his challenge, to strut back and forth, and then return to his tent. His day's work was done. But this day, David stands on that same valley floor, listening. So when Goliath is finished with his boast and his challenge, David answers Goliath with this promise. You come to me with sword and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the army of Israel, whom you have insulted. I will strike you down. The Lord will hand you over to me, and this day I will cut off your head, and I'll give the dead bodies of the Philistine army to the animals around. The whole world will know that Israel has a God. Then everyone gathered here will know that the Lord can save without sword or spear because the Lord determines every battle's outcome. He will hand you over to us. <clears throat> so all the talking's done. The bragging is over. 
The question now is, who can deliver the goods? The time for action has come. David, <clears throat> trusting in God, Goliath, trusting in his size. In a sudden rage, Goliath begins lumbering forward, expecting David to turn and run for cover. On he came like a human tank, ready to wreck his vengeance on this, this shepherd boy that's insulting him. But instead of running for cover, David actually sprints forward, looking for the chance to hit Goliath with the stone that snuggled in his slingshot. David calmly views the menace and sees his opening. Oh, the giant is well protected except for his nose and his lower forehead. As Goliath readies to strike, David twirls his slingshot once, twice, thrice, and then he lets it go. With a single stone, David strikes the Philistine in the forehead, and the warrior Goliath crumbles in full view of both armies. There isn't much of a fight to report about because it was over before it started. David quickly goes to Goliath's side, takes Goliath's sword from the scabbard, and severs his head. Holding that grisly trophy aloft, he waves it out to Israel. The Israelite soldiers burst into this guttural war hoop, and immediately the Philistine turn, and they start running for their life. And some very irritated Israelites begin chasing them, wrecking their vengeance upon them as they ran all the way down to the gates of Gath and Ekron, the strongholds. It's a great story. Kids love it. We see songs about it. And it's an amazing story. Today, I'd like to share three lessons. Two in, in particular, because I think they apply to us. But one just for background. The first one is how man explains the wind. It is interesting when I was doing research that there were people who would write and say, well, this is, this is why the battle went that way. It, it was no big deal. So we'll look at that because it, it is kind of interesting that they came up with these things and I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, then I, but more specifically for us, two applications. What do we do with the Goliath we face? All of us have Goliaths that are out there. Sickness, disease, death in a family, loss of the job, stuff that's not our fault. They just, it just rises up. So what do you do with that Goliath? And then secondly, what happens when we create our own Goliath? That Goliath that we're facing is really our issue and it's stopping us from serving. What do we do then? So, lesson number one, how man explains the wind. They would say that Goliath couldn't see. Goliath may have had a disorder called acromegaly. This condition leads to a person growing very, very tall, but 
it often leads to double vision and severe nearsightedness. I thought that was kind of interesting. And they offer two proofs that made me think, just things that I'd never caught before. You know how big Goliath is. Why did Goliath have a shield bearer? Come on, he's nine and a half feet tall. What does he need a shield bearer for? Well, maybe he really couldn't see anybody coming up. And he needs somebody to warn him. And Goliath did say to David, come here and I'll feed your body to the birds. Maybe he need to get close up and personal with him. I don't know. But it was kind of interesting. They all said that Goliath is powerless. Oh, he's outfitted from toe to head with, with armor. That's, there's no doubt about that. And he is terrifying. He's so terrifying. Nobody in Israel wants to challenge him. It's like a death wish, right? Why go there? But they would also suggest then that, well, David was just really smart. Well, he may have been really smart, but that wasn't the reason. But they said that maybe he saw that that heavy armor weighed him down. And because he was so big that he'd be really awkward. And he wasn't used, wouldn't, would be able to move appropriately against a smaller target. It is true that, that Goliath could kill him, even with his bare hands. But you know you'd have to be kind of a fool to get, to get that close for him to grab you, wouldn't you? And then, more importantly, that I found interesting, they said that David is deadly. <clears throat> and this one, they're on track. This is kind of a biblical concept here. David is carrying a sling, which is simply a highly effective weapon. Armies for centuries have used slings. Shepherds like David would use slings to defend their sheep and so forth from the animals. And we hear that story. And I read about the calculations some have done on the ballistics of a sling shot, on the stopping power of a rock that had been fired from a hand sling. And they believed it could have the, the stopping power of a high and tight fastball right into your forehead or the power of a 45 caliber handgun. That is a pretty effective weapon for sure. And so David just simply lines him up. And with a single shot to the head, he kills him. On a side note, just to establish that, the tribe of Benjamin was known for their ability to sling stones. If you look in Judges, the 20th chapter, it says that a man from Benjamin, right-handed or left-handed, could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. That's pretty accurate, folks. And then I remembered. Which tribe was King Saul from? Benjamin. I wonder why Benjamin, I don't wonder why King Saul didn't know how to use a slingshot. That was his heritage. Isn't that interesting? Well, let's go on then to our personal applications. What do we do about the giants that we face? Well, like David, we can learn that lesson there, and that's a valuable lesson. We use our God-given skills. We can achieve victory. Over, over the Goliaths because we focus on God's strength within us. 
David had God-given skills. He knew how to use that slingshot. He had established that before. No question about that. But he also knew that the power was in power in him was from God, and it wasn't his. And that's how we kind of approach things. And if we, if we begin thinking about it from that standpoint, we can look at stories in the in the Bible that that demonstrate that same kind of principle. So, for instance, a couple of one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Just eight chapters later than what we are looking in, David himself becomes the Goliath in a situation. He is so enraged because what, of how a man insulted his, his army that he is mounted up and ready to destroy the entire family until a humble, serving spirit of a woman by the name of Abigail came and stood before her Goliath and explained the situation. And this is what David says to her. He, he, he got it. He knew what had happened. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you. He sent you this day to meet us. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. Stories in 1 Samuel 25. Then in the New Testament, I like the story of Zacchaeus. He was there. He was a tax collector and he had a Goliath. And that Goliath was his own people. They were out to get him. There was no quarter there whatsoever. And yet when he heard Jesus and Jesus came to his home, he makes this promise. He says, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And that story is in Luke 19. But he, he turned that, that around to look at his own Goliath and saw what he could do as he met with Jesus. And there's all kinds of people who have attacked the Goliath in their lives and find victory in the Lord using their own skills and using the power that's there. Finally, for this point, we have Paul's assertion. We, I think it's kind of been used once, once before. From Romans, the eighth chapter, from a translation called The Message. Paul says, do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way of Jesus our master has embraced us. We can face Goliaths that come, whatever they be. 
they rise up and there they are. But we can be victorious because of the love that we have with through the Lord Jesus. We need to use the skills, the talents, that character that we have been given and developed in his word along with the power of the Lord to make that difference. And our in th- our second application here. How what do we do when we create our own Goliaths? And quite frankly, I'd never thought about this. It did set some things right, and I did pursue it because I kind of like following somebody else's view just to see where, how do they come up with that? Where are they going with it? Does it make sense or not? And it turns out this was one that I, I really needed to hear, and so hopefully it'll strike a chord with you. But in order to understand it, we need to go back to the people of Israel. You see, Israel had created their own Goliath. What Israel desired most failed them in the worst possible way. Israel had specifically asked Samuel for a king. Specifically. And speaking to Samuel, the people said, we will have a king to rule us. Then we'll be just like all the other nations. Our king will rule us. Our king will lead us. Our king will fight our battles. Oh, that's what they thought. That's what they decided he was there for. But they needed to learn a very profound lesson. Israel received what they desired. And it turns out that their king, their Goliath, who was magnificent in his country, head and shoulders taller than anybody else. It was, a, it was amazing to watch their king. And yet, here they are, struggling. With Saul, Israel got their dream king in place of the Lord. And that's how we create Goliaths in our life. We find things to replace the Lord in front of us. And then we run into trouble. Israel's, the difference between the two Goliaths that day was that the Goliath of Gath was bigger and meaner than the Goliath of Israel, King Saul, because he was having no part of that fight. He didn't want it. So an idol is anything we put our trust in other than the Lord. And that's how I'm kind of looking at this from this standpoint. Creating our own Goliath, creating an idol, putting something there. So follow with me through this. Because you see, Israel decided that their king would provide them security, protection, power. It was great. But there they were, standing in fear, cowering, not knowing what to do. And so, that's a lesson that should never be missed. When we create our Goliath, we can never win. And they couldn't win that battle either, could they? After they raised up their Goliath, he wasn't big enough. 
to stand against the other Goliath because they left the Lord out. He was gone. But the shepherd boy David, he knew something that the armies of Israel and the armies of the Philistines didn't know. And that is the battle always belongs to the Lord. Always. That is where David found his confidence. And that is, that is where we find our confidence as well. And recognizing who is in charge. David was not confused about the power that would be needed for that situation. And he, because he had already proven God's power in his life. In fact, that's what he said. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. He was confident because he understood what was going on there. When we create our own Goliaths, when we choose to put something or someone before God, we create that Goliath. When we allow our fears to become so overwhelming that we begin to shirk away from things. When we begin to think that, oh, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I don't have the skills. We create this Goliath that's up there that, that says, oh, but I've forgotten that God is in charge of the battles. This is an issue that's been there in the beginning. The scripture tells us that when Eve saw that the tree was good and delightful and desirable, that became her idol, her Goliath. She wanted that tree more than she wanted a relationship with God. And she couldn't get past it because she had built something out that wasn't there. So recognizing our Goliath is important. And they can come in a variety of ways. And to me, Jesus spoke about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6 spoke about creating Goliaths. He says, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth. And that's where some of our Goliaths come from, aren't they? We have our cars and our phones and our computers and, and houses and jobs and baseball games and whatever it is. We, we begin collecting stuff. We just recently received a house from one of our members who, had, who passed away and she had given it to us in her will. And she collected lots of stuff. And a lot of that stuff was thrown away. It was no good. It was just stuff. And we couldn't deal with it. And we do that. We collect stuff. And that gets in our way, I believe. Jesus said the reason you need to understand that is because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. If you pull that idol up there and set him out in front of you, that's where you're, gonna, that's where you're living. That's what you're going to do. Jesus said no one can be a slave of two masters. You've got to make a choice. You can't do both. Either I'm in charge or the other thing's in charge. Then you have to make a decision. It's there. He says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you drink or about your body, what you'll wear. All things that sometimes we get concerned about, aren't they? Not that they're not important, but where do we put them? 
What are they to us? And the, the HCSB translation says, for the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, I thought that was an interesting translation, interesting choice of words. Because he's talking about, what are you putting in front of me? Your idolatry. But he goes ahead to say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. These are all common issues. Our Goliaths, uh, people, attitudes, health issues, uh, the list can go on and on. And what happens is that we, we can recognize our Goliaths, and we can conquer them through the help of the Lord, but they keep, sometimes they keep coming back to life. And I know they have in my life. In fact, Paul, Paul would confess that he had to daily discipline his body in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Why daily? Because stuff keeps coming back. It keeps rising from the dead after we think we got it done. You have to stay on top of it. Recognizing the Goliaths we have created. A personal story, short version, about it, my own Goliath that I've battled with and continue to battle with. It's one that I know and recognize. I can see it anytime it comes up. It's there. In my middle school years, several things happened to me. Looking back, none of them were life-threatening. But as a highly emotional charged young man, I thought, I thought they were world-ending. And it changed my life. I went from an A and B student in one semester to a D student. And I maintained that D grade all the way through high school. In that process, I developed a pretty severe case of low self-esteem, a case of personal worthlessness. I just didn't believe I was there, that I had any opportunity to do anything of any account. I have very few memories of especially good memories of that time. It was a rough time for me. But by the grace of God, the love of a good woman who's been my wife for 55 years now, and a lot of personal work, I came to recognize that Goliath for what it was and for who it was and the decisions that I made with that Goliath in front of me. It was the one that I had created. And over the years, like Paul, I would have to use some daily work to make sure that that Goliath would go back down. I would occasionally let him come back to life. In fact, just recently, in preparation for this lesson, he raised his head again. I had all my material prepared, but I had no focus. I had lots of stuff that I wanted to say, but I, I couldn't find a focus. And for some reason, I looked at the list of names of people who are gonna be teachers and speakers. And I remember sitting there in front of my computer and thinking to myself, why, why is my name on that list? Surely somebody could pick that topic, do something better with it than me. What makes, what makes them think that I could even do anything good with that topic. 
And just as quickly, the answer came back. Because daily, I battle that Goliath. I know what he looks like. I can do something with him because of God's grace. Because then I realized that it wasn't about the other names on the list. It was about what God was going to do through me by presenting a lesson. And that's all I needed to focus on. Just what was God going to do through me? And let it be. And once again, my Goliath crumbled. The point is, our Goliaths, our idols, can be people, things, possessions. They can be your negative attitudes about yourself. Whatever they are, if they're keeping you from serving the Lord, you've got a problem. You need to figure out how to get there using the power of the Lord and others there. But there's always a David for each of the Goliaths in our lives. We just have to find that David because he's there. David is greater than Goliath. Through Goliath, the Lord confronted Israel's idolatry. Israel wanted a powerful king like the kings of the other nations. Instead, they got to see what happens when you make your own Goliath. He, he pales in comparison to somebody else's Goliath. When we consider the Goliaths in our lives, do we cower before them? Do we do, we do like the Israelites and just kind of turn our backs or wondering who's going to take charge or who's going to do this? Because it's not going to be me. What do we do with that? Are we able to step out in faith knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord? Looking for pictures, I ran across this one and I loved it. Because I know that the Goliaths in our lives are real. And they're intimidating. And they can stop you from doing things that you can do once you get past that Goliath. And so this picture reminds me visually that there's always more going on around me than what I can see. I think about that story that was read to us earlier of Elisha's servant who was fearful because of Syria's army surrounded them. Elisha prayed that his eyes might be opened. Second King, Second King 6, great story. Just marvelous when you think about the imagery of what's going on there and knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord. But more importantly, I want to stand back from the story and get David and Goliath and see that there's a much bigger story going on here. David foreshadows someone much greater, Christ. Christ is God's champion. He also arrived in obscurity. He came from Bethlehem. He was of lowly profession. He was despised by his brothers and his community and Rome, all because Jesus veiled his glory and humility. This is the story of defeating Goliath. God sent his son who took on our human nature to challenge Goliath. First in the wilderness and then on the cross. Jesus confronted and defeated our greatest foe, Satan. Christ is greater than Satan. 
much more about this on Friday when, we, when Rick talks. But at the cross, Jesus disarms principalities and powers and atone for our own rebellion and our sin and our idolatry. That Goliath didn't stand a chance with Jesus on the cross. He is our champion. We just need to stand and watch as every time our champion goes into battle for us and defeats the Goliath that's there. Because he will. Because we are more than conquerors because of his victory. That makes the difference. Around 33 AD, in the first month of the Jewish calendar, Nisan, about the ninth hour of the day, Jesus said, it is finished. And forever crushed the Goliath for us. There is no sin in your life, in my life. There are no Goliaths in your life, in my life, that Jesus cannot conquer and defeat for you. Today, today, the Lord calls us to put our trust in him as our king, to give all our confidences to him instead of other deliverers, to lay aside the idols that we might struggle with and by faith go forward into victory. The battle has always belonged to our Lord. May we never take this honor away from God's true champion. If you're struggling and would like prayer or conversation, we have people that can help you. If you need to, if you need to make a decision about who you're going to follow, if you've got a Goliath that you know is there and you can't beat him, Jesus can and we can help you. We can point you in their direction. So if you open that book up to page 40, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing that number.